0: Now, I think most of you know that uh, I'm pretty fond of my wife, and you may not think it if you heard me from the pulpit, but I, I think you see through all that, and, uh, and my wife Starla is pretty wonderful. Starla, she, she loves the Lord, she loves you, and uh, she even tries to love me, so she has her work cut out for her. But Starla and I, you know, we we work well together because she lets me be the boss. Everything's good. And I begrudgingly let her be the decision maker. And so, you know, she's happy about that. And, you know, you see her up on the platform, you know, the girl, she dresses to kill. Unfortunately, she drives the same way. But, I, you know, I, I do have some good news that uh, it was a blessing to me. I mean, this week, uh, her credit card was stolen. You say, how can that be good news? Well, I went out and checked, and the thief was spending less than what she spent. <laughs> I didn't turn it in. I just let the thing go. I'm, I'm money ahead. But you see, really, my, my point is this. Starla works very hard at, at taking care of me and pleasing me. And, and, and I hope I work as hard of taking care of her and pleasing her. And that's what makes our marriage work. And that reminded me of what an 87-year-old Christian said when he said, you know, I think I've got this Christian thing figured out. It's really pretty simple because it simply boils down to pleasing God. Well, you know, if marriage is that simple of pleasing each other, well, why can't our relationship with the Lord be that simple? All the time you hear people talk about how difficult their Christian walk is, but maybe, perhaps, we've taken something that was intended to be simple and we've complicated it and cluttered it up by making it much harder than it was ever supposed to be. I mean, what what if being a Christ follower all boils down to the simple act of pleasing God. Well, I can hear your minds churning right now. And it's not because there's a lot of loose nuts and bolts up in there. But inquiring minds want to know, right? So the question is, how do you please God? Well, I know how to please my wife. I say, yes, ma'am. Anything else, dear? Of course, darling, whatever you want. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 gives us some insight about pleasing God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, with faith, it is possible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Now what's interesting is... That in the New Testament, the words faith, believe, and trust all come from the the same root word. And so what that means is, our, our scripture could say without faith, without belief, without trust, it is impossible to believe, to please God. Or it could say by faith, by trust, by belief, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, obeyed God. And so, what the point I'm trying to make is it seems like the writer of Hebrews is saying that the way to please God is to believe in Him, to have faith in Him, to trust Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Enoch's testimony was that he pleased God, and so we see that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And so, the answer to the question of how do we please God is by trusting in Him, believing in Him, and having faith in Him. And I can understand that. I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. And when my kids trust me and obey me, it pleases me. When they have issues that come up in their life, I say, guys, you know, I know you think I'm an idiot, but this isn't my first rodeo. I've lived a little bit longer than you, but I've experienced a little bit more than you have, and you may not see my perspective, but trust me in this. And when they trust me and obey me, even when they don't know why, it pleases me, and then when they don't, it displeases me. And I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm displeased a lot, because you know how kids are these days. But let's be honest. There are a lot of times that we disappoint God more than we please Him. Because we have to do it our way. We have to do what we want. We have to go by our plan. But the only way to truly please God is to trust in God. Now you may be familiar with this, but there's a team building activity called a trust walk. How many have heard of a trust walk? Well, Kyle, you and me. I guess guess, guess we're woke. I mean, you know. Well, let me explain to you what a trust walk is. You start out blindfolded, and you have a partner that leads you around by by the hand. Well, then the partner lets go and only gives you verbal instructions of what to do. And you can learn a lot about trust in a trust walk. You see, because a real trust only happens in the dark. See, if you know where you're going, you don't need to trust. You don't need help. If you can see, you don't need faith. And so what that means is, if your five-year organizational plan is already laid out and you have it all figured out, why do you need God? If your life's plan is firmly established, you don't need to trust in anybody but yourself. Well, a a men's retreat I heard heard about, they had a trust walk at a campground that bordered a highway. Now, I'm not sure what those driving by thought when they saw a group of men holding hands, walking around in the dark, (laughs) but maybe in this day and time, they didn't think it was anything. But see, the problem was that it wasn't that it was just dark. You see, but when they let go and they needed to follow the voice of the partner, they had had their ear trained on the right voice because there were a lot of voices calling out directions to all the different groups that were out there. And isn't that the way our life is? There are always a thousand voices competing for our attention. And that's why you have to know his voice. That's why Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Well, after, after this activity was over, they asked the guys, when did you open your eyes? One guy said, well, I opened my eyes when I hit the tree. <laughs> I understand that. Another guy said, you know, I was doing great, but, but then all of a sudden, I, I felt like I wasn't in control anymore. But an older guy in the group, it was kind of interesting, he said, for the first time in my life, or at least since I was a little kid, it was nice to have someone else worrying about the obstacles. See, when you trust Jesus, the obstacles are his problem. And when we're listening to his voice in the dark, the battle isn't ours, the battle belongs to him. Our problems are his. And so we please him. When we trust him. Someone said that God is the slowest person who always pays right on time. My dad used to say God doesn't always pay on Friday, but he does always pay on time. And see, those two statements can be a foundation of our life if we trust God. But see, today you may be here and you may have a major issue in your life. Maybe it's a time-sensitive situation, and you're crying to God one of, those, one of those bailout prayers. You know what a bailout prayer is. God, I really need you. I need you right now. Are you listening? Is there anyone up there? And today, God is saying to you, hey, I've got this. I've got it under control. Be patient. It's going to be okay. Okay. See, this principle that believing God and trusting him is how we truly please him, along with the idea that you can't really tr- trust him unless you're in the dark, is not only in Hebrews. Look in John chapter 6. Jesus takes a little boy's lunch, prays over it. He multiplies a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and a miracle of multiplication. And the Word of God tells us there's enough food to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And the Bible says that all of a sudden the popularity of Jesus swells. Well, after that, in John chapter 6, verse 25, the Bible says, When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, and said, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, you only want to be with me because you think I'm your meal ticket. Well, notice what Jesus says. Verse 27. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval. On him. Okay, now, <clears throat> if you're interested in pleasing God, if you think that's something worth trying to attain to, listen to this next question. Verse 28, the disciples asked him, what can we do to perform the works, plural, W-O-R-K-S, the works of God? Jesus replied, this is the work of Singular, the one priority, W-O-R-K. This is the work of God that you believe in the one God has sent. Jesus said the work of God is that you believe in me, that you trust in me, that you have faith in me. Now maybe you were like me and you know, when I first came to Christ, I said, God, I want to work for you. I want to give you my everything, my time, my talent, my treasure. You can have it all. Here I am. Use me. He said, wonderful, Mike. Trust me. God, God, I understand that, but but where do you want me to give my all to you? You know how the song goes, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Where and how do you want me to do the surrendering and the giving? And God said, Mike, I want you to lay down your life. Okay. Okay. By trusting me. It almost sounds anticlimactic. But listen, trusting is the work of God. The disciples said, what must we do to do the works of God? The work of God is this, to trust and to believe. Everybody wants to know what, what God's plan is for their life. I can tell you what the plan from God is for every one of your lives right now. And I don't even need to have a genie hat on. God's plan for your life is to trust Him. That's That's what it's all about. One of the most compelling missionary stories I've ever heard is the story of Jim Elliott and four other men who back in the 1950s gave their lives to carry the gospel to to a tribe of Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. Well, years after her husband's death, Elizabeth Elliot was getting ready to speak. And right before she was introduced, the congregation sang a song that the lyrics went, Lord, I want to love you more than I ever have before. You are so easy to adore. Well, Mrs. Elliot was introduced and she came to the podium and she says, Now you need to be very careful. You need to be very careful about the songs you sing because it is easier to adore him than it is to follow him. People in church have no problem adoring him. It's when they leave that the problem starts because it's much easier to adore him than it is to follow him. Mrs. Elliott spent the next few minutes talking about something she knew more about than most of us ever will, following God in the tough places and in the dark. And afterwards she was asked, if you could sum up the Christian life, what would it be? And she said, trust. What else is there? Because either he's real and I trust him, or he's not real at all. Or, he is real, but I simply don't trust him. And she summed it up this way by saying, when I trust him, life is not always easy, but life is always good. See, the idea of following Christ is that we just add so much to it. We make it more complicated than it was ever intended to be. It's really simple, but we've cluttered it up. British author Dorothy Sayers says, People who crucified Jesus did not do so because he was a bore. Quite the contrary. He was too dynamic to be safe. Therefore, we have declawed the Lion of Judah and made him into a house cat. Church, Jesus is too dynamic to be safe. But yet, because we want it our way like Burger King, we rely on our own safety nets, we rely on our own plans, and we play it safe as if we serve a God who plays it safe. But we serve a God who is too dynamic to be safe, and yet we have to know what every step is, we have to know what's around every corner, when all we have to do is simply trust Him. That's all we have to do. And when he says walk, we walk. But God, the last time I looked, there was a cliff over there. He says, I know it. I made that cliff. Keep your eyes closed and trust me. You know, in modern theology, there's a discussion whether to take the words of Jesus allegorically or metaphorically. And I had to look up what those two words meant because I really didn't know. And so I looked them up. But ladies and gentlemen, what we really need to worry about today is whether or not we take his word seriously. Do we really believe what he says? Well, if we do, we're going to trust him in all things. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus adds to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we want to, you know, we say, okay, yeah, how do we do that? Well, the way we do that is by trusting him. Now, with that thought, let's look in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a little man who was up in a tree, out on a limb. He was a tax collector who had a questionable life. He wasn't really liked by his peers, and he was viewed as somewhat of a thief. And yet Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, I want to go to your house. Jesus made a connection with Zacchaeus, but you see, Zacchaeus left his whole life, but to do it, he had to trust in Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, blind Bartimaeus was called was calling out to Jesus to be healed. But the crowd was rebuking Bartimaeus saying, leave the teacher alone, he doesn't want to deal with someone like you. He's too busy. But the Bible says Bartimaeus called out all the louder. And Christ had compassion on him and said, Bartimaeus, what would you have me do? And Bartimaeus said that I might have my sight. And the Lord healed him. But Bartimaeus had to trust in Jesus to receive his healing. We find the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the list of the do's and the don'ts. The do's: love God with all your heart. The don'ts: don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with the girls who do. And the rich young ruler said, "Teacher, I've done that and more since I was a kid." Jesus says, "That's wonderful. Now, if you're going to trust me, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow." Well, the Bible says this young man walked away sorrowful because his trust was in his possessions. Then there was an overzealous mother who came to the Lord. She's a lot like parents today. She was a helicopter parent. How many know what a helicopter parent is? Well, Kyle, at least there's more than three. Helicopter parent, they hover. They hover over their kids. They don't let go. And we think helicopter parents just started in the millennial generation, but they were clear back in the Bible. Because in Matthew chapter 20, we see a picture of a helicopter parent in the mother of James and John, who went to Jesus on behalf of her sons. And she says, come on, Jesus, hook my boys up. Grant that one sits on your right hand and one on your left. And Jesus said, woman, you don't know what you're asking. Because to go where I'm going, they are going to have to drink the cup that I drink. And you being their mother, I don't think you want them to have to go through that. And so why don't you leave the positions of authority up to my Father in heaven? You're going to have to trust me in that. And so we see... With Zacchaeus, that there was an issue of trust, but yet Zacchaeus responded. Bartimaeus had to trust and he responded. The rich young ruler, he had an issue of trust, but he couldn't do it. The mother of James and John wanted to work out the positions of authority, but Jesus said, You're going to have to trust me in this. Can you see the picture? It's all about trust. Now, we're going to get back to this, get back to this in just a minute. But right now, I want to look at Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Then they brought little children to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Hmm. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So can you see the picture? Jesus is in the middle of his sermon. And in a culture where women and children are little more than property, moms and aunts and grandmas start bringing their kids for Jesus to bless them. Now, of course, the disciples aren't going to stand for this, so they start shooing the kids away. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Go ahead, let them come. You see, because these are the real stockholders in the kingdom. And if you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, it's not you. It's these little ones. Have you ever wondered why Jesus picked the child to be the symbol of the kingdom of God? Maybe it's because a child is direct. Because after all, don't kids say the darndest things? You know, I used to tell my kids when they'd go spend the night at someone's house, now you keep your mouth shut. You don't need to tell everything you know. And then the other side of that coin is if I want to know what's going on in my kid's life, or how their marriage is doing, I'll just arrange to spend a little time with my grandkids. <laughs> Be careful. They're direct. They say what they're thinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down memory lane a little bit now, and so just bear with me. Years ago, we were on vacation, and we were at the beach, and so we are getting ready to go outside. and So I had this really bright, loud swimsuit on and I've got this real loud print t-shirt on so my son who's about 10 at the time says dad don't you mind looking goofy say what's on their mind don't they now I hate to admit that a 10 year old could make me feel self-conscious but I did go change my t-shirt I don't know maybe God picks them because they're quick learners they're smart my daughter, Cecily, she's sitting right over there when she was about six. I was in charge of keeping all the kids one day. And my goal was keep the small humans alive. That was, that was my number one goal for the day. Well, I, I had to fix her hair. And as you can imagine, she didn't like the way I did it. But I said, hey, I'm sorry, baby. This, this, is, this is it. This is all you're going to get. You're stuck with me. She was crying. She is upset, and she said, "You don't even know anything about me. You look just like me. I mean, why?" And I said, "I'm your daddy. I know everything about you." And she said, "What size shoe do I wear?" (laughs) Defeated by a six-year-old, how frustrating! Kids are smart. I don't know, maybe God picks them because they're reckless. A while back, Starla was standing back just right down there, right down there. And so she hears our grandson Shane shout out, Mimo! Mimo is her grandma's name. Well, just as she turns around, Shane has jumped off the platform and he lands right in her arms. I cannot believe they both just didn't tumble down, especially with those high heels she wears. (laughs) And she says, Shaney, baby, I could have dropped you. And he smiled that infectious smile of his, and he said, no, you couldn't. It never crossed his mind that his memo would ever drop him. Kids have, have a reckless trust, a reckless faith. Maybe God picks kids because they're so loving. When our granddaughter Hannah started talking, she'd say, I love you, Paul. I love you. I mean, it'll melt your heart. Kids are direct. They're reckless. They're always learning, and maybe that's why God chose them. Okay, so this same story where the kids come to Jesus, Luke tells it over in chapter 18. But yet he uses the words in Luke 18, 15. He uses the words infants. And so they were bringing babies to Jesus. And so so we see the same image of of babies in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to become like a little baby to enter the kingdom of God. Now babies can't do anything. They eat, they coo, they poo, they cry. They don't work. They don't walk. They don't talk. They cannot do anything for themselves. Hmm. Could that be what Jesus is trying to say? Could that be why Jesus chose small infants and children to be a symbol of the kingdom of heaven. Because if you're not totally dependent, you're not going to get in. If you don't come to the kingdom like a child, you're not going to make it. What Jesus is saying is, you have to be reliant. But now, you know, let's be honest, we don't like that. I mean, we like to make it on our own. By our own power, by our own ideas. By our own plans we like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But maybe Jesus is saying, you can't pull yourself into the kingdom of God on your own. You have to trust me. Yes. Maybe it's all about being totally dependent. But if I'm being honest with you, that really creates a huge tension for me. You see, because all my life I've been told that I need to grow up. When I'd say something stupid as a, kid, as a kid, my dad would say, come on, Mike, grow up. i do something now, Starla says, come on, Mike, grow up. But yet Jesus says, I have to be like a baby. So how can I be mature and still be a baby? How do I balance that paradox? Well, you see, when I'm a child with God, absolutely depending on Him in all areas of my life, that will make me be an adult with you. You see, because then that will allow me to treat you with the same love that God has for me. Love others as you love yourself. Babies, that's what God, that's what God is looking for. They're not spoiled Babies but dependent babies. I have to trust Him. And when we trust Him, powerful things are going to happen. We say, God, take my life. use me. I'll pick up my cross and I'll carry it for you. What do you want me to do? You want me to jump off the cliff? And God is saying, all I want you to do is trust me. But we're so anxious, we say, God, I want to do something. But God's saying, you are doing something when you trust me in the dark. Because here's the thing, friend. If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you realize it is harder to trust God over time and in the dark than it is sometimes just to jump off that cliff. Now, you may have thought it was hard when God said to jump. But I want you to know right now when I'm in the delay between my promise and my miracle and it's dark and there are all these voices yelling at me, telling me which way to go, it takes more trust to follow Him and stay the course when I'm not seeing anything than it is for when I'm supposed to jump. God is saying, trust me. Stay the course. Listen to my voice. Believe in my words. Because I have got your back. And today, maybe you need to trust Him for a miracle. Maybe for your finances. Maybe for your physical body. I don't know. Today, maybe you need to trust Him for salvation. Now, you may may have been religious all your life. But you realize that you've never put your whole trust in God. So how do you trust him? Well, think of the pew you're sitting in. When you came in this morning, I doubt that any of you got on your hands and knees to check and see if the nuts and bolts were holding it together securely. But yet you set your big back, I mean you're just, you sat, you sat down in that chair. You sat down in your chair and didn't give it a moment's thought. See, the moment you put your weight against that pew, you trusted it. You trusted it. And that's all it takes to trust God. Put your weight on Him. The weight of your tomorrows, the weight of your problems, the weight of your sins, the weight of your sickness, the weight of your heartache. Put your weight on God, and He will hold you up because you can trust Him. And I know there's someone here saying, Mike, sounds good, buddy, but you can't begin to realize what I'm going through. I realize there are some big problems in this room today. But friend, you need to understand that God is bigger than any problem that you have. And you have to recognize that, and you have to accept that. And to do that, you have to rehearse the attributes of God, because God said he would never leave you or forsake you. Do you realize that the whole span of our universe, the whole width of our universe is measured by the span of God's hand? That's a big hand. Our God weighs the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance before there was even a drop in the ocean, even before there was a ray of sunshine, your God knew you at this very moment and he knew what you would be going through? Trust him. Jesus is the greatest man of history. He had no servants, yet they call him master. He had no degree, yet they call him teacher. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. And you don't think you can trust him? In chemistry, Jesus turned the water into wine. In biology, he was born without normal conception. In physics, he disproved the law of gravity when he ascended into heaven. In economics, he disproved the law of diminishing return by feeding 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves. In medicine, he cured the sick and blind without administering a single dose of Advil. In history... Jesus is the beginning and the end in government. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in your life today, friend, He wrote every one of your days in His book before you were ever conceived. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows all the hairs on your head. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He created the heavens and earth, and yet He's closer than the air you breathe. His name is Jesus, and you can trust Him today. You can trust him today. But the question is, will you do it? Will you do it? I want you to know in God, you can find everything you need. Everything you need can be found in the man, Jesus. And if you'll trust him, I promise you he will not let you down. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that it is every person's desire in this room to please you. And Lord, for for those who are in a place where there are, are so many competing voices, the voices of family, the voices of this world, the voices of our work, Lord, I pray that you would take their hand and you would whisper into their heart and let them know your voice. Lord, I pray that you would bolster their faith so they can feel your presence. Father, I pray today that you would save the lost, you would heal the hurting, you would touch the broken relationships, and Jesus, I pray that your power would touch everyone's need that's in this room today, and Father, give us, give us the strength to trust you with our life and our eternity. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.